chapter 4, starting in verse 32. We are uh, near the end of this chapter, but it says, Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This morning, if you're taking notes, the message is simply titled, Being a Kingdom Distribution Center. As a church, we are called to be kingdom distribution centers. As believers, we are called to be kingdom distribution centers. There are things that God has provided each and every one of us. Talked a little bit earlier about the faithful plus of those as finances. Other things he has provided to us is gifts, passions, zeals. If there's something that you are passionate about for the Lord, I promise you this, you didn't make that up. Again, in fact, Scripture says that you're not even saved on your own accord. We know that's Jesus, but he goes on further and says you didn't even have the faith to get saved on your own accord. You know that? Scripture says that even the faith it took to believe in Jesus was given to us by God. There is nothing that we have on our own that is from us. Not a single thing. Not our faith, not our salvation, not our gifts, not our time, not our energy, our resources, our jobs, our talents. Nothing we have is our own. It has all been given into us from God for the purpose that he can give it through us. We are called and created to be distribution centers for the kingdom of God. That if we would pursue God and say, God, I believe that you can heal. Not only do I believe you can heal, I believe you will and you desire to. And not only that, but I believe you want to do it through me. It's kind of the chain reaction. Even if we want to take Mary and Joy, who just shared the testimony from yesterday. That was the beginning process. Coming to that place of faith. Lord, I believe you can. I believe you will. I believe you want to. And I believe you'll do it through me. Coming to this place. Now, what's the, what does that end us with? It comes to a place of, of I believe. I have the faith. I have the gift. I have your spirit. Do it through me. It was a distribution. They released who God is and what God does through themselves to somebody else. At the beginning of chapter 4, we talked about the, the lame man at Gate Beautiful. That's why God is all the way here to this point in the story. Is that he was lame all his life. And they said, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. They were the first instance of the church post-Jesus going to heaven where they showed the kingdom distribution center that we were called to be as a body of Christ. <clears throat> that what I have, I freely give to you. So much so that the church, it says here, didn't even consider anything of their own. They didn't consider any of their finances their own. They didn't consider any of their belongings their own. They didn't consider their time or their energy or their resource their own. So we're called to be this distribution center for the kingdom of God. And I want to break down what type of distributions we are called to make. And I'm going to keep it really simple today because I could really probably do like an entire year on this alone uh, for all the things that God has given us. Anybody ever stopped and really thought about everything God has given you? It takes a long time. 
if you ever feel depressed or sad or broken or wondering how good God is, really stop and think about everything he's done for you and given to you. Not only will it change your entire mindset and spirit, but it's also going to take up a lot of your time. Because God is so good. He's overly good. Overly good to us. So we're not going to go into everything, but I wanted to look about what we see in Scripture here. The first type of distributions that we should do for the kingdom is that God is calling us to be distributors of power. Distributors of power. In fact, that's exactly what we see here at the beginning of uh, verse 33 in chapter 4. It says, and with great power, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. How does God do anything? He does it only when his glory is being lifted up. I promise you this, if you make it about you, he will not move through you. He is not going to distribute his presence if you were trying to steal the glory. But when the testimony is toward the blood of Jesus, when the testimony is toward the name of Jesus, when it's toward the power of Jesus, when it's toward what he has done, then he will distribute his power. We are called to be a church that walks in great power. Great power. And I love that they said that because it wasn't just power. Power is awesome. It's awesome. I love the idea of power. In fact, if you remember with me all the way till last Easter, we talked about the Holy Spirit. When we first got to launch this, I guess, it wasn't quite Easter. We talked about how the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 came with great power. In fact, let's go ahead and even read that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power is the word dunamis, is where we get the word dynamite from. So it's talking about we're going to have this dynamite, explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And Scripture tells us that when the Spirit of God is moving freely and powerfully and openly and we are following the way we're supposed to, we don't just have power, but we have great power. Great power. We go from like dynamite to atomic when we allow the Holy Spirit to move. And that's what he's calling the church to. And the only way we do it, as it says here, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. When we realize we cannot do it on our own. We can't. We can't. We are co-laborers with Christ that we spoke about. We are co-laborers. It's understanding that I will do my part. What's the most I can do? What's the most I can do in a supernatural power transfer? Pray. My words are the most I can give. But when we step out in faith and we step out in honor and glory to the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit through him, then he will take our words and he will transfer power. So the idea is, is that when we come together on Sundays, we are built up through the Holy Spirit. His power comes over us. Luke 4 says it this way, that Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit was led into the desert. Our Monday through Saturdays, if you will, are our deserts. We are led into the desert where the enemy is tempting us every day. Anybody feel the attached to temptation of the enemy when you're away from the church? It's our desert. It's a lonely place. It's an isolated place. It's where he's coming around and he's saying, listen, I know you're saying God is your provider, but he'll turn the stone into bread, so he's still providing it. But what he's doing is getting us to try to do it on our own. And he's saying, listen, God will protect you. Toss yourself off the building. He'll catch you. What he's trying to get you to do is test him. 
We see the same response that Jesus gave over and over again. The idea is that it would inflame our pride and our arrogance. And the moment we believe that we can transfer power outside of the Holy Spirit is the moment we have become endangered of exalting ourselves and locking ourselves up to the same place as God. It's pride. It's arrogance. And we cannot allow ourselves to operate that way. We have to realize that nothing can come to us apart from the Holy Spirit. Impossible. Any move of God, any power transfer cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20 says this, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. How is the kingdom of God demonstrated? In power. How is power released? Through action. If we are going to be a church that distributes the power of God to the world around us, we have to be an active church. The problem is that we've been a church who's talked too much. Remember last week we talked about how he makes us shut our mouths now for seven days before he lets us shout? If we're going to boldly proclaim, let's boldly walk. If we're going to boldly proclaim, let's boldly pray. If we're going to boldly proclaim, let's boldly put it out there. Let's boldly release it. Let's boldly distribute the power of God. Otherwise, we're just loud mouths. If we are boldly proclaiming God without releasing God into our lives and through the lives of those around us, we're just loud mouths. We're annoying. <laughs> but whenever you can take that and you can release the power of God, who knows, people overlook annoying for powerful. It'll happen. People will suddenly not care about the shouting. They'll suddenly not care about the raised voice. They'll suddenly not care about the constant talking about Jesus. Because when somebody encounters the power of Jesus, they get it. They get it. The kingdom of God isn't about talk. It's about power. It's about action. We are called to distribute the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is on us, whenever we can understand the presence of the Holy Spirit on us, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we have to understand we have to be rebuilt. We can't just say, hey, I got that experience with the Holy Spirit one time 30 years ago. I'm good to go. We're running on empty. We have to be refilled constantly. We have to consider the Holy Spirit. We have to say, give me boldness. Give me authority. Give me power. And when the Holy Spirit's on us and we realize and recognize it, it becomes our responsibility. It's not just something that is good to do. It actually becomes a responsibility and a duty given to us that we release that power, that we release the kingdom of God through active faith. We're missing it if we're not doing that. We're missing, we're dishonoring God, we're dishonoring the blood of Jesus, we're dishonoring the sacrifice. Like Tim said, Jesus never has to come back and die again. He doesn't have to. It's now our job to do that. It's our job to do that. That's why he says, take up your cross daily. Each day we die. We don't ask him to do it again. He's already done it. And he finished it. He established everything. When the last breath was breathed, when the last drop of blood poured out, it all was established that it was finished. Now it's our job to continue doing what he did. It's our job to continue demonstrating what he did. It's our job to continue reflecting who he is by carrying our cross, dying to ourselves, and releasing the power of the Holy Spirit releasing the kingdom of God through active faith. So we're going to be a kingdom distributing center. We have to be a church, we have to be a people that distribute his power. We have to be. 
We have to be. We have to be a people who are going around just like the apostles did and sharing their testimony of Jesus. Do you have a testimony of Jesus with you? Has Jesus saved you? You have a testimony. Has Jesus ever healed you of anything? You have a testimony. Has he ever saved you from, from pain or hurt or injury or death? You have a testimony. Has he ever restored anything? You have a testimony. We have testimonies about the power of God in our lives. It is our responsibility, like he says of the apostles, to step out and with great power release the testimony. What that means is I simply speak what Jesus has done and then I give opportunity to allow him to do it in somebody else's life. I give opportunity. So I say, listen, Jesus healed me. And I find somebody who is broken. And I say, Jesus healed me. He'll heal you. Let me tell you my story. Let me pray for you. And now let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Distribute the power. And the second thing we're called to do as the Kingdom Distribution Center is to distribute grace. We're supposed to be distributors of grace. Now grace is very all-encompassing. It's very much encompassing. Grace simply means that we are given what we don't deserve. It goes a lot deeper than that. Part of what we're given is power over death. That's why we're saved through grace. It gives us power to walk above reproach and above sin. And it gives us power to release the kingdom of God in our lives, to be distributors of grace. So it's giving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. And so we're called to be distributors of grace because it said in, in verse 33 that they, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, but it also continues and it says, and great grace was upon them all. There is something to be said about a church of God who is operating in the power of God and in the will of God and the nature of God and in the purpose of God that they would show both great power and great grace. Can't be absent of each other. They have to be together because if God has given us great power and we're not releasing great grace, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. In fact, Jesus gives a parable. It says there was a man who owed such a debt to the Lord, to the master, that he was going to have him in prison. And he begged. He said, please, I've got a family. I've got, I've got needs to take care of. He said, listen, I will, I will wash away the debt. We'll level it out. We're good. We're clear. We're clean. It's what Jesus has done to us, right? We have a huge debt we can't pay. And he washes it clean. But it says that that man went on, and he found another person who owed him a little debt. And when the man didn't have money to pay him back, it says that he beat him and he threatened him. And he threatened to have him jailed. And the original master who cleared the large debt pulled the man in and said, I've, I've given you incredible freedom. I've, I've washed away the debt. How could you not forgive him of his little debt? He's talking about understanding grace. I gave you grace. I gave you power. I gave you freedom. The expectation is that we would then distribute the same grace that we received. We are called to release great power, but we also have to release great grace because the power we have comes through the grace of God alone. We don't deserve that power. Mary and Joy had no discernments, had no in themselves right to be able to have the testimony they shared this morning. Why did they have it? 
because of grace. The grace enabled the power. We can't have great power without great grace. And we can't have great grace without releasing great power. They have to work together. So it says, and great grace was upon them all. I truly believe that if you were to look at any powerful move of God throughout history, you're going to find great power and great grace. They're going to coexist in every single one of them. And I promise you this, they were there before the move of God began. They didn't start having great power and great grace because God moved. God moved because they released great power and great grace. Because they understood who they were. They weren't waiting. And sometimes I think that we're waiting to see everything. We're waiting to, to suddenly magically have these people run to the church out of nowhere. Because if you go to they will come, right? Dumb movies that change the culture of church. That was not a godly statement, but we live by it within the church. I'm just going to wait for them to run to me. It's a built church. It's a built building. They'll come. Oh, we release great grace and show great power outside the walls. And we sometimes just wait for God to move powerfully. And if we just stay here and we keep coming to church long enough and we do all the right things long enough, then we'll see a great move of God. I want to encourage you and challenge you all at the same time, okay? So get ready to get the correction side. Let it correct you, but also receive the encouragement side, okay? You are the great move of God. You are. Each and every one of you individually and all of us as a body, the great move of God. So if you're waiting for God to move greatly and powerfully, start moving. Start moving. Start doing something. Distribute his power. Distribute his grace. We are called to release God's grace constantly and in every way possible. Release his grace through forgiveness. Release his grace through joy. Release his grace through comfort. Release his grace through your gifts in every way possible, but even specifically what I've seen in this book of Acts is one of the first launching points of the church releasing grace before a powerful thing begins is that they release it through what's called financial grace. They release financial grace. They are what we call overly generous. Overly generous. In fact, we see it here because it says that they all believed with one heart and one soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. That sounds very generous to me. Very generous. In fact, they didn't just say it. Sometimes we're really going to say, like, hey, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. We're good. But they did something about it. Because it says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. They were an actively gracious church. Now listen, like I said earlier about the faithful bus, I cannot tell you what to give. And here in a couple weeks, you're going to realize the power of that statement when I say, I cannot tell you what to give. You can only give what God tells you to give or what you have committed to him. So be careful to listen. If he says to give something, be faithful and obedient to give what he says. If he doesn't tell you something, don't make it up so you sound incredibly gracious and generous because he will hold you to that. That's why it's always better to pray and just listen and obey. Because if you start it on your own, you got to finish it on your own. 
And sometimes we start things that are overly ambitious that God has not called us to. We need to be distributors of financial grace, though. We've got to take what we have and say, Lord, you've given it to me. I'm going to return it to you. And that doesn't always mean through the church. Sometimes it does. Sometimes he beckons us through the leadership to say, listen, we need to pour into the church more. We are at a place that the church needs you to pour into it more. But also, we're at a place that God wants to pour into us more, individually. That means kind of releasing and opening ourselves to receive. Did you know the scripture says that every heavenly blessing has been made available to you? Every single one of them. You know why we don't receive them a lot? Because we have not learned the ability to receive it. Sometimes we just have to expand our ability to receive what God has done. And sometimes that means making room or making space. Sometimes that means putting aside doubt or fear or ideas. Sometimes that means not allowing the enemy to convince you that when the pastor's preaching on money that he just wants your money. I promise you, if God told me today that I needed to do this for free, I would. I promise you. I've given you my word on that. It's not about me receiving anything. It's about distributing the kingdom of God to the world around us. And the church is the one who's called to meet the needs. Has anybody ever looked at our foster care system and our adoption agencies and become angry at all the children who are unadopted? Anybody ever ever says, me? I get very angry about it. Can I let you in on a secret? It's the church's fault we're there. I don't, I'm trying to be nice. It's, it's our fault though, because we're not being the kingdom distribution center we're called to be. We quit taking care of widows and orphans, and we said, government, you take care of it. You do it. You've got my taxpayer dollars, you do it. You do it. And it's not anointed, and it's not empowered, and it's not filled with grace and authority because a secular entity is doing what a godly body was called to do. They can't walk in the anointing and the freedom in that ministry if they're not the ones called to do it. And so there's things that the church has been called to be distribution centers of that were not. And those people are walking around in, in bondage and in junk and in pain because we're not the center we're called to be. Why is it necessary to become a financial distribution center? So we can do what God called us to do. So we can walk in the power and the victory, the authority and the freedom and the blessings of areas that God desires for us to walk in. We have to be that generous people. And here's what currently we do at New Life as being a financial distribution center. We give to missions. We give to local ministries. We give to community outreach. And that's just a few that just off the top of my head. There's many more that we do that if I really stop to think about, we can keep going on. But the truth is this, is that we are committed to doing this thing with you. Every quarter, the board takes from our general funds and we tie 10% from our general funds to those areas. So if you give to missions and we meet our mission pledge, guess what? Our missionaries are getting more than we can promise them. If we're not meeting our pledge, then we're going to make sure they are through the tithe. We are distributing what God wants to do. But I'm telling you, his heart is that he wants us 
to do more. He wants us to be a free-flowing distribution center. Who believes, not just because you've heard us say and you agree with it, but who truly believes with everything they are, that they would back it up and live in, that you cannot outgive God? Like, you would put everything on the table. You would bet it all and say, I cannot outgive God. Anybody fully and truly believe that? Because if we did, we wouldn't ever worry about how much he's asking us to give him. We wouldn't worry about it. I have friends and I know people that God has challenged this belief system in them and said, listen, if that's what you believe, give away your house. Don't even sell it. Give it away. Give away your car. Give away your guitar. The one you just paid $2,000 for, that was your dream guitar, just give it away. Why did he do that? Because he was testing them to see, do I really have your heart? Do, I, do you really trust me to provide for you the way you say I think you do? And each and every one of them has had God return it even better than what they gave. Because he's a God who cannot only give it. We cannot give him. He has cattle on a thousand hills. He is supernaturally providing everything. Scripture says, look at the birds of the air. They don't have to search. They don't have to be fed. The worms are just provided in the morning day for them. Look at the flowers in the field that, as beautiful as they are, they are more beautiful than even Solomon, who has all the riches and glory, because he is a God who cares for his creation. And if he cares for his creation like that, how much more is he going to care for his children? How much more is he going to care for his children? That is the God we serve. That's the God who, who desires for us to step out in faith and honor to why he says who he is. We are a church that is distributing financial grace. But what God is speaking to me as your pastor is that he is thankful for the faithless. He wants us to be faithless. He wants us to give more. And if we can give more, we're open to receive more. In fact, the challenge that assembly the book before me in the last year has been to try to live of what you give. Can I give so freely to God that he is constantly pouring back into me? Can I step out of faith in him that much? That's what he's calling us to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, it says the point is this. Anybody else ever need something spelled out that clearly for you? <laughs> for the word of God just to say, this is the point. This is what it all means. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you made that very clear for me. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Have you had seasons where you haven't really felt like things have been matching up the way they needed to? You might evaluate what your soap is looking like, what your seed is looking like. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's not about what I tell you to give, but what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Listen, you need to get a hold of this. Because this shit is what God's calling us to. And if you get it right right now, in fact, I will tell you, write down this verse and read it every day. Because I'm telling you, this is what God is challenging this church with this year. Don't give it under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace about you. Do you see that? When you give... He's able to make all grace abound. There is a connection between our gift 
and the grace. There's a connection between it. When God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, it's power, power made available to you, you may abound in every good work. Our gift is oftentimes the ignition we need for grace and power. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Jesus said it this way, true religion is this, those that would give to the orphan and the widow, those who would distribute financial grace. Verse 10, he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, that's God, he provides it all. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Remember the challenge of faithful plus and what we would add to God? He is faithful to multiply back to us. He is faithful and good to do it. That's the God we serve. It's not about prosperity or abundance. It's about walking in faith. It's about walking in a place of a sacrificed heart because he is not prospering and giving abundance to us so we can say, look at me in the mansion I have. I've got a mansion coming. It's not about the mansion I have now. In fact, I don't want to have so much abundance in my life that I hoard from God that when I get to heaven, my eternal reward looks like my earthly one. That's a bummer. I want an upgrade. I want an upgrade. And so if we can get to the place where it's constantly, God, give to me to give through me. Distribute through me what you have planned for those around you. We are, we are somebody's answered prayer. We are. There's somebody out there saying, God, I need groceries. I do. God, I need a family. I need a mom and a dad. God, I need a, another son or daughter. I'm alone. God, I need. And he's simply saying, will you step out? Will you distribute what I have given you so you can be the answer to their prayer? Will you distribute heaven? Will you release the kingdom of God through yourself? Will you be that? He's called us into that righteousness and he said he'll multiply in the verse 11 of St. Corinthians 9. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Our generosity creates and produces thanksgiving and gratitude to God. Because when we step out and we distribute the kingdom of God through power and through grace, and we point to Jesus and the kingdom of God, the world around us will be astonished. You can't meet the need of somebody and then not give glory to God when it's all about him. It can't be done. He is richly and he has generously poured his grace over us. He has done it over and over again by meeting our needs and supplying our provisions. It is this return to generosity through us that is expected. It is natural for the believer to respond to this grace by releasing it. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it shows us again the same pattern. This is two chapters before we just read. 
But in Acts 2, verses 43 and 45, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. So it's power, right? Great power would be done again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Common is a big deal. Unity is a big deal. And they were sealing, or selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Grace. We see again in the very beginning in Acts 2, reflects exactly what happened in Acts 4. Great power and great grace were being released through a unified and common heart, mind, and soul. They're necessary together. They're necessary together. It's expected. It has to be the natural response because God will use our generosity to destroy and bring provision over the needs of those around us. You see that it said there that it said that they sold and they gave to any as they had need. Our generosity, our grace distribution is meant to destroy need. Meant to destroy need. Remember I said that orphans and orphanages and foster cares and, and widows programs in the government are there because the churches are doing what we're called to do? Did you know in America that there are more church house bodies, individual church buildings, than there are orphans in care? What I simply mean is this, that every church in America came together financially, emotionally, and spiritually supported one family in their church to adopt one child. If each church voting did that, there would be a waiting list for orphans. Do you know that? The problem is not as large as we've caught ourselves to believe it is. We just were too lazy to deal with it. But if we would come together and be a distribution center for power and grace, we could wipe away the orphan problem in America. And that's just the American churches. We could do this if we just did what we were called to do. We could destroy need by distributing grace the way we're called to distribute it. We could destroy need. It's one of the most powerful, one of the most uh, necessary parts of our worship and our praise to God, and it's often overlooked because we want to control our money. It's mine. I work for it. It's my money. Let me just encourage you. When we gave our life to Christ, our life no longer became our own. There is nothing you own that is yours. Nothing I own that's mine. My kids are not even mine. They are alone from God. Everything is His. So we can understand and come to the mindset that this isn't ours, it's His. It's so much easier and more free, freely let go. It's a great, powerful form of praise and worship and things given to God, and it's overlooked constantly. The reason it's so powerful is because as we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and what we're going to read again here in, in Galatians 6 is that we will read what we sow. It's a biblical concept. It's a kingdom concept. But in Galatians chapter 6 verse 89 it says this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap I like this part. You're, you're, is it there? You're there, okay. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. I love that. I love that. So what it's saying in verse 8 is simply this. What you sow is what you reap. If we sow into the flesh, we reap the flesh. If we sow selfishness, we will reap selfishness. That means we will reap a lack of favor from others around us. 
Because we are not given freely, we will not receive freely. But when we give generously, we reap generosity. We will sow, reap what we sow. And then it goes on in verse 9. I love this. Because the challenge and the encouragement from God is simply this. Don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't stop and let things around you keep you from sowing into your eternity. Has anybody ever planned on sowing or giving to something and then suddenly something in life pops up and you're like, oh, I can't give that because I have to replace my tires. I can't give that because this need popped up, this financial obligation, this challenge here, and I have to, I have to take care of business. Anybody ever done that? I know there's been lots of times I plan on giving something to somebody because God put on my heart, and then as soon as I'm about to do it, all hell breaks loose on an area of my life that would take that money away. It happens without bill, constantly. In fact, I challenge you, when we do this Faithful Plus, I challenge you, whatever God's put on your heart to give, consciously look and see if suddenly things are start popping up to try to take from you. Why? Because the enemy is not stupid. I mean, he is, but he's not at the same time. <laughs> he, he's not ignorant to God. He understands that if we will sow into the kingdom, then we will harvest the kingdom. He understands it. And so what he's doing is he's trying to keep you from sowing into eternity. He's trying to get you to quit sowing into heaven by causing you to sow into a distraction. So if I'm constantly sowing into my vehicle breaking down, guess what I'm going to harvest? <laughs> vehicle problems. It's going to keep happening because we're showing that this need is greater than my need of obedience to the call of God. We will constantly reap what we are sowing into. He knows this, so he's distracting us with storms. He's distracting us with clouds. He's distracting us with rain to keep us from the heavenly blessings that God desires to pour over our life. He's trying to keep us from the rewards that we would receive if we were to sow into the kingdom of God. All by distracting us with temporary problems. Do you know that? Do you know that car problem is not going to heaven with you? Good news, right? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, out of car warranty is finally no longer necessary. No longer get those car warranty phone calls once I get to heaven. It's not going to heaven with me. The, the house maintenance problems aren't going to heaven with me. <coughs> it's not happening. The bills, thank you, Lord. The debt collectors, well, maybe they'll go pray, pray for the debt collectors that they make it to heaven with us. But the collection calls aren't. There's things that aren't going to happen with us, but the enemy is distracting us with these temporary issues to cause us to sow into them instead of sowing into eternity. He knows what he's doing. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4, Solomon challenges with us, and he says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If we are looking at our circumstances, if we are looking at the situations around us, if we're looking at our feelings, if we're looking at logic and reasoning, if we're trying to be intelligent about this on our own, and we are looking at the storm, and we're looking at the cloud, and we're looking at the chaos, if we let ourselves be distracted on that, the enemy will effectively keep us from sowing into the things that God has called us to sow into. That's all he's got to do. All he's got to do is get us to look around and say, no, it's not a good time to sow. The weather is not beneficial to sow. I can't do it. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't harvest anybody. And we suddenly try to do this on our own fleshly way of thinking, and it will not cause the outpouring that we need. But if we will quit looking around and say, I don't care what the clouds say. 
I don't care what the storm says. I don't care what the barometer is feeling like around me. God has said to sow. I'm sowing. And if we'll be faithful in that, we will realize that we are putting aside everything around us. We're trusting God. Say, Lord, I know that the tires need to replace. I know the house needs repaired. I know the bills are piling up. But you have called me to sow to you first and foremost. And I know with all my heart, you will cause it to be brought into me. You will cause me to give unto me is what you said. And I know that if I prioritize you first and I honor your call first and I obey your word first, you will cause the rest to happen. I am not going to reap into the temporary. You're going to take care of that. I'm not going to sow into it. You're taking care of that. I'm going to sow into eternity. I'm going to sow into heavenly things. And I know that you are going to be faithful and good to restore it. To restore it. Don't allow the enemy to keep you from your blessings. Don't allow him to keep you from receiving what God has for you. Be the kingdom distribution center God has created you to be. Because here's the good news. Can, can you hang with me for just a little bit longer? As I said, everything he has given to us is expected to give through us. But sometimes he asks for more, but most of the time he lets us hold on to 90%. You cannot outgive God. We don't give to him for the blessings. We don't give to him for the financial abundance. We give to him from a place of gratitude because, my God, I am on my way to hell without you. Again, I know who I am without Jesus. I know that I do not deserve the blessings I have. And so, God, because you have given me more than I could ever hope or fathom, this is just a little thank you in return. I want you to know you have my heart. Because if God had asked for 90% so that we could keep 10, that still would have been fair. Still would have been fair because we deserve nothing. So we come to this place saying, Lord, I will be your kingdom distribution center. If you pour power into me, if you pour grace into me, if you pour finance into me, if you pour gifts into me, if you pour time into me, if you give anything to me, I will release it to the world around me. I will distribute what you have given to me to them so they can encounter heaven on earth, so they can encounter the kingdom of God powerfully and vitally and graciously in their lives so that way I can shine the light of God into a dark place. I will do it. You've given me a lantern. I'm going to keep it lit. I'm going to shine it. I'm going to give. I'm going to distribute what you've given me. I promise you, he will take what we've added and he will multiply it for the kingdom of God. Every time. Every time. Every time. We're going to get an upgrade one day. It's going to happen. We keep following God. We're going to get into heaven. Our bodies are going to upgrade. Hallelujah. Our homes are going to upgrade. Hallelujah. Our time is going to upgrade. Hallelujah. Everything is going to upgrade. Let's not worry about this right now. Scripture says it's just a vapor in the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's of no substantial, real reason or power authority. Just put it aside. Follow God. Give back to him what he has called and asked you to give. Be this distribution center. And I promise you the blessings that will follow, the power that will follow, the signs and wonders that will follow, the eternal 
eternal currency that will follow you is worth it. It's worth it. If people look at me in my life, and my currency is simply this, that he released Jesus as often as he could. That when he was around, Jesus was seen. When he was around, Jesus moved. When he was around, lives were changed for Jesus. That is the greatest currency I can receive in this world. He is calling us to be a kingdom distribution center. It's a hard word, I know, because the truth is, is right now the enemy is probably wanting to keep people from receiving that. Probably is. Every reason possible. One reason is, oh, there's another pastor preaching on money. Promise you not about that. You gotta get between you and God on that one. The other issue is this. Pastor, I hear you. It sounds great. I hear what you're saying. I see the word, but you don't know my bills. How can I rob Peter to pay John and glorify God in that? How can you rob God and glorify him in that? I get it. There's every reason the enemy is battling you right now. Every single reason possible. He is trying to tell you right now that you cannot be this distribution center. Every reason to keep you from being valid for it. Every reason to keep you from being qualified for it. It's happening. I get it. But I want to encourage you with one part of scripture that we did not touch on much today. But it was in Acts 2 and it was in Acts 4. It said they came together in one accord, in one heart, in one mind, in one spirit, one soul. And the reason why we're often not in unity is because our souls aren't unified. What I mean by that is we come together and we all have a relation with God, but we're giving the enemy territory inside of us. We're giving him territory in our thoughts. We're giving territory in our minds. We're giving him territory in our lives. We've allowed ourselves to believe the lies he's told us. And so when it comes to moving in unity, we can't because we're all going in different directions. We all believe different lies. I want to encourage you, if there's anything in you this morning that is bubbling up and saying, I cannot do it. I mean, what the word of God is saying to you. I can't do it. The pastor is speaking. I can't follow through. I want to, but if there's anything in you, I want to tell you that is the enemy. I just want to clear that up. That's the enemy. He's lying. And he's trying to take back control of what the word of God is bringing into life. Just call it, I want to call it literally what it is. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to come in, and simply respond in the simple way. His name is Jesus. And we can again proclaim Jesus. The enemy's flustered. There's no better time to do it than now. To proclaim the name of Jesus. To proclaim the word of the Lord. And to step out in active faith. I promise you right now. One, you can put to death the lie of the enemy. You can squash it right now and give Jesus the authority of the place that he's been trying to steal within your thoughts and your mind and your soul. And we can come into unity together and we can release some great power and some great grace. We can be in the distribution center God wants us to be. It all starts with a simple step 